Hello, and welcome to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. In this podcast, we discuss mystical works of literature and how they relate to recovery. We hope you enjoy today's podcast episode. Hey guys, buddy C. Have Marla and Kate and Craig with us today. Good to have you guys. Any thoughts on this 58th verse before we read? It, it has several ideas. Number one, everything changes. And uh, there's only one thing that changes, right? And that's everything. Yeah. And, um, you know, black, good and bad. You have to have bad in order to feel the good. You got to feel sad to feel happy. You need both. The, the bad is propping on the good. You yeah. know, it's right there with it. But not to get too, you know, not to get too bought into it is in terms of, you know, oh, I'm so sad. Life is never going to change. It's always going to be like this. It's, it's part of the whole picture. This too shall pass, right? You shall pass. Everything changes. One of the big things I got out of it was the fact that instead of looking at where I am right now, try to look at the 30,000 foot view, you know? Yeah. I may be in a valley right now, or I may be on a mountain, but my life consists of both. It consists of the whole thing. So just because I'm in one place doesn't mean that is my life. So that was, uh, Wayne Dyer had some good. Yeah. And to view it with equanimity, I think as well. And look for the purpose behind those things. Kate, you want to read for us today, ma'am? Sure do. All right. So we'll do the 58th. Fire when ready. All right. First translation. When the country is ruled with a light hand, the people are simple. When the country is ruled with severity, the people are cunning. Happiness is rooted in misery. Misery lurks beneath happiness. Who knows what the future holds? There is no honesty. Honesty becomes dishonest. Goodness becomes witchcraft. Man's bewitchment lasts for a long time. Therefore, the sage is sharp but not cutting, pointed but not piercing, straightforward but not unrestrained, brilliant but not blinding. Second translation. If a country is governed with tolerance, the people are comfortable and honest. If a country is governed with repression, the people are depressed and crafty. When the will to power is in charge, the higher the ideals, the lower the results. Try to make people happy and you lay the groundwork for misery. Try to make people moral and you lay the groundwork for vice. Thus the master is content to serve as an example and not to impose her will. She is pointed but doesn't pierce. Straightforward but supple. Radiant but easy on the eyes. Third translation. If a government is unobtrusive, the people become whole. If a government is repressive, the people become treacherous. Good fortune has its roots in disaster, and disaster lurks with good fortune. Who knows why these things happen or when this cycle will end. Good things seem to change into bad, and bad things often turn out for good. These things have always been hard to comprehend. Thus the master makes things change without interfering. She is probing yet causes no harm. Straightforward yet does not impose her will. 
radiant, and easy on the eyes. Final translation. When a nation is ruled with a light touch, people lead simple lives. When a government is harsh and demanding, people will spend their time trying to outsmart it. Happiness is rooted in misery, and misery lurks beneath all joy. Who knows what could happen tomorrow? Everything is relative. What's considered proper today may become improper. Correct appearances may hide dishonesty and sinfulness. No wonder so many people get confused. The masters have sharp minds, not sharp tongues. They are austere, but never judgmental. They are straightforward, but not provocative. They are brilliant, but not flashy. Thanks, Kate. Thoughts? I will stop the share. I put the link in the chat. Oh, good to have Lala and Sarah with us today. Ladies. Morning. Morning. I'm going to go on mute because I'm driving. <laughs> okay, well, if you want to chat, just cut your mute. Uh, just turn your mute off and we'll call on you. All right. Thanks. Thanks. Hmm. Any, any opening comments? I see a lot here about the good and bad. It was even hard to comprehend then. You know, it's always a mystery why, you know, bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people is a real mystery for me. <laughs> I don't understand that, you know. Because it's all about the good and the bad. Misery lies beneath happiness. Um, happiness lies beneath mystery, too. They're, they're together. You know, yeah. they're right together. So uh, let's see. <laughs> stuck in the moment and we all we think about is what in what's in front of us not seeing the bigger picture you know well yeah that's yeah pretty common but like you said you step back and see look at the whole picture you know where things actually did go well in the realm of things or, or how many times i thought something was good and it ended up being bad and how many times I thought something was awful and it ended up being good. Right. <laughs> Happens awesome. all the time. So yeah. I, I think the, the best approach is just to quit tagging those things, you know. They just are. Well, you know what they do teach you, like in the Buddhist teachings, is that, you know, your, the state of mind you're trying to reach is emptiness. So if it's good... It's just as disturbing to a mind as being bad because you get attached to it. You want more of it. You um, so it's kind of like having to just have awareness of what's good or bad without being um, growing attachment to either one. So in that tradition, being good, being good is just as disturbing to the mind as being bad. So yeah, as I, I said before, you got here equanimity. Yes, it, it, there's. If things are great, good, don't get too attached to it. If things are bad, too bad, don't get too attached to that either. Yeah. Just, you know, it is, it is, I hate that phrase, it is what it is. It just is. I do love that term, equanimity. It sounds pretty. Balance. You know, that's where acceptance comes in, because if I'm accepting, then I'm really not getting attached to the good or the bad. If I can accept my day as being 
And I, I started this a long time ago, accepting the day as being the way it's supposed to be. I might as well enjoy it. It's the best. It's the this is the best September twelfth, twenty nineteen. I can have. Right. So I might as well just enjoy it, no matter what comes along today, knowing that it's going to be different tomorrow. So I can't attach to the good or you know resent the bad because tomorrow is going to be different. It changes. It does. Same with the the seasons. If you listen to the the what's this Tao all about? <laughs> the professor or therapist, uh, Dr. Carl always talks about how the seasons are always changing, but nothing else does. You know, we are here. And to stay in the Tao means that when you're staying in the Tao, nothing will change except the things around you, (laughs) which is, I think, what we've been talking about, which is also letting go and acceptance. This whole thing's about that. Well, well, all of life is really. Uh, my wife and I actually were talking about this this morning uh, about letting go and how you know about the emptiness of life. That if we can learn to accept things as they are, and the the emptiness that's there, it leaves room for things uh, to change without our effort and push. You know all the things we talk about. So it, it was it was good. Um, there was a quote here. I'm looking for. Ah, oh, shoot! I don't see it. It's hiding from me. About thus the master is content to serve as an example and not to impose her will. So she's content to be an example without imposing her will. That's letting go. That's letting go. It's interesting here, too, how the more restrictive a government, he starts with a government example about the government being restrictive. Then uh, first he says if the government's tolerant, the people are comfortable and honest. But if the government's repressive, the people become crafty and depressed. Well, yeah, that's true. I mean, when they when they do more, when the IRS adds more restrictions, we hunt another way to get around those restrictions to to keep more money. You know, that's the first thing you talk to your accountant about is okay, what's changed this year? How do I need to manipulate my money different so I can keep more of it? You know, and stay and you know, and he he tells me, I said, well, Cal says you don't look good in orange. You don't need to do that. You know. <laughs> Orange is not your color. <laughs> I know what that means. That means don't do that, you know. So so as long as we can stay out of orange, you know, we push those limits, you know. Yeah. And the same thing with uh and that's and in our personal life too, of course, we can apply that. You know, with our relationships and all the people that uh I used to hold hostage around me. You know, I would hold them hostage by money or by any way I could to get them to do what I wanted them to do the way I wanted them to do it. And what do people do when you restrict? They try to find ways around it. Yeah. get They get upset, angry. It's, you know, I understand how people feel about 
not wanting the government to have so much control over our lives. Yeah, I, I think Lao Tzu was a libertarian, really. Yeah, I do too. <laughs> He's with me on that. I'm very much libertarian in that regard. So, and, and what bothers me the most is we're still the same after you know. Here's this was written twenty five three thousand years ago. We're nothing. We haven't changed. We haven't evolved as humans. We're still talking about the same stuff. That's, it's like I think segments of us have or. The same segments that maybe always were, like the percentage-wise. Um, but, you know, the phrase comes to me, you get more with honey than vinegar. It's like when somebody's open and receptive, you know, you're more likely to be able to come to agreement on something. Yeah, that's true. It, it, it takes some vulnerability there, some openness to allow people to come to decisions that, are best for them rather than pushing them into those decisions. Uh, same in our life. You know, we have to show some vulnerability, give some love instead of control and let people find their way. You know? yeah. Sarah, you have something? Yeah, actually. Um, I was, I was just thinking, I always listen uh, or think of that misery loves company. And if there's too many rules, then, of course, you know, the government is or, you know, whoever the ruler is is going to be, they're miserable, you know, because they have to control. Um, And then, of course, we're going to be miserable. Um, But I'm thinking in in lines of, uh, like, sponsorship um, at the end where it says the master is content, I'm, I'm reading this, and to serve as an example, we have to be the best big book or the best sponsor that we can be. We don't have to force things on our sponsees. Um, but we want to, um, be the best example that we can and share our experience. So I, I'm, I'm thinking of that. I, of course, I'm kind of talking while I'm driving, so my thinking isn't all there. I hope I make sense. That makes perfect sense. Makes perfect okay. sense. Thank you, Sarah. Yeah, I mean, this, these, uh, things talk about also people trying to control, not just government, but a human trying to control things it doesn't it never works people get pissed off when they're when they're under control actually sarah bringing up the sponsor sponsee relationship is an excellent example because i think in that relationship i do my best with allowing room and staying in the you know uh in the simple you know in the tolerant view of this because I'll make suggestions to sponsees, and I never tell them what to do. And I, the funniest story I remember is a friend of mine, he kept doing business with his brother, and his brother kept screwing him. He kept doing business with him. He kept screwing him. And he kept complaining to his sponsor about it. And his sponsor would say, well, I don't think you should do business with your brother if, if that happens. You know, I mean, just simple, 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 you know. And finally... He just kept complaining and kept complaining, same thing over and over. And the sponsor said, uh, I won't say his name. I said, he said, uh, do you have a gun? And the guy said, yeah, what do you think I should do? Should I kill myself? And he says, no, shoot me. I'm tired of hearing this. (laughs) So I've been waiting to be able to use that, but I haven't been able to use it yet. That's one that I want to use, but I haven't been able to. (laughs) Uh, I did get to use the marriage counselor one the other day. 
Uh, I'm not a marriage counselor. I'd never been able to use that before, but I finally used it on a sponsor. He kept complaining about his wife, you know, and I said, Hey man, I'm not a, I'm not a marriage counselor. You need to find somebody if you need that. You know, yeah. it was funny. Craig, you have something I'll unmute you. Um, what Sarah was saying about the, the sponsorship, there's actually different translations in the ones that we use. Um, so you can actually pull up different uh, translations of this. Um, Jim Clapfelt has got a good one who says, um, let your lead be gentle and people will be satisfied. Let it be severe and harsh and be rejected and defied. Um, which is, I think it's a good analogy for what Sarah was saying about the sponsor. Um, and again, it kind of leads off last week where we're talking about being in countries and that sort of thing can be smaller things like your families. Um, I think rather than telling people what they should be doing, you know, making suggestions as to what they could be doing. Or, or what you did. And in recovery, I always talk about what I've done, and this is how I did it, you know, and then they can take what they need from that. Um, and with kids, you know, leave kids room and space to to make mistakes and, you know, find these things out for their own. Uh, how about this? Try to make people happy, and you lay the groundwork for misery. <laughs> I yeah. thought that was my job was to make people happy, you know. Must not be, huh? And I think that with with sponsorship, you can't be making your sponsee happy. They shouldn't. I mean, that's, that, not they gonna, that's not going to work with being a sponsor. I think no, they shouldn't be parents try or make. You know, it's like when you're pushing somebody in a direction and so Exactly, Lala. That's exactly the, yes. Why are you yeah. happy? I'm trying to make you happy. <laughs> you do what I tell you. You know, and you'd be happy like I am. You yeah, yeah, you'll have what I have. <laughs> you want this? <laughs> but it's always the wrong thing. You know, a, a person, like, a, as an example, your spouse can think they're giving you all this stuff and it makes them happy to give it to you, but it, it's not anything of what makes you happy. That's, That's why we got to learn to love people instead of try to make them happy. Yeah. That's two different things. Two different things. Totally. Two different I, things. I had an experience yesterday with a sponsee where, you know, I don't know if I was, like, usually I'm very calm, like, patient, loving, you know. But yesterday my sponsee, like, really pissed me off, and I was just, you know, I didn't really yell at her, but I kind of did. But she really kind of needed it. She needed it at that time. You know, it takes a lot to get me to yell at somebody because I that's not my personality. I was going to say that's, that's like the rules thing is like sometimes some people um need a little push or need like one rule, like, because if you just let me be a little too much, I mean, this is maybe more a few years ago than where I'm at now, I would go and find ways around it. So, you know, sometimes a sponsee, like, I know I sometimes need a push when I'm kind of pushing boundaries or being a broken record and not realizing it or getting into patterns and not realizing it. Yeah. I mean, she was making some really dangerous choices and they needed to be, you know, she needed to be called on them. But I feel like reading this, it's like, was that correct? But I feel like, you know, I don't feel like I'm a ruler of anything. So it's not like I'm ruling anything. But 
I don't know. Kate, I think in that situation, I think we can overinterpret this or to make interpret it too literally. I really like the way Lala was talking about this in that we're trying to make, it doesn't say, it says we're trying to make them happy. You know, we're trying to, we're pushing. Now, if we're working with a sponsee, for example, I had a sponsee that one time that his problem with drinking was from the time he got off work to the time he got home. That was his time that was an issue his car would automatically want to turn into the liquor store, you know, on the way home, you know? So I told him, I said, well, if that's the case, call me when you leave work and I will talk to you till you get home. And we did that for a couple of weeks and he got past that time. Wow. Uh, So there's times when we have to do things that are different. And I told him, I said, if you want me to sponsor you, you know, now that you've not been able to stay sober, I want you to go into a meeting. Where do you find recovery? He said, I find it at meetings. I said, well, I want you in a meeting every day until you're over this hump. So text me and let me know what meeting you've gone to. And if you don't want me to sponsor you anymore, just don't text me one day. <laughs> I mean, I've just made it that firm that he had to go to a meeting every day if he wanted my help. Because it was to that life and death situation like you're talking about, Kate. I mean, it took more action. I wasn't pushing him or forcing him to do things that hadn't worked for him. I wasn't telling him, you got to meditate an hour a day, every day. You've got to do this and this and this. I asked him what worked for him. He said, meetings did, so I want you going to meetings. You know, that's where I put the – there's times when, as a sponsor, sponsor, yeah, I think – uh, and we have to be so sensitive about that kind of thing and, you know, and and look at what what's worked for us and what appears to maybe work for them and, and just be open, you know, open to that. So sometimes with a sponsor, sponsee, yes, I've had to be firm, but it's not an overly, you know, there's times when people have to be called on stuff. And I think if you do create this um... – kind of governing of openness and allowing, then a sponsee is going to listen to that one push that much more. Whereas if you impose, do you got to do this, 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 and um, rule with an iron fist, everything just gets jumbled in there. Whereas I know for me, sometimes I, I, I know I need that hard kind of thing when I'm towing the line and, yeah, I think, uh, I, I don't know where that fits into all of this that we're doing the reading of, but in, in reality and just in everyday life, I think it, it's important to have the culture of openness, but sometimes, I, hey, I need it, where I need to give that. You know, and it's interesting, too, Lala, I just thought about this. The times that we can tell is, am I looking for a way around that, or am I taking the instruction and doing it? Going through it. Yes, if I'm looking for a way around it, then it is this overt rule-keeping severity Yeah. where if if I'm working with a sponsee and they say, okay, I'll do that, I want to do that, not, well, I can't do that, I got to do, you know, all of that work around, if they're not working around, then that's a good sign that you're not overly pushing. 
Yeah. Does that make sense? To me, yes. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think now, that was kind of the key way of saying it is if you're going around it, around all the rules, you should, you know, in reality, you need to work through your problems, not go around them. Yes. Very good. Very good. Any other comments? I think that sometimes it's like a game show, you know, when you sat in the house and somebody's been asked a question and everybody at the house knows the answer, apart from the guy on the television, and everybody's screaming the answer at him. He's still got that blanket expression on his face that he doesn't know the answer. I think sometimes people actually need you to take the hand and show them rather than just pointing over there, you know, you know just physically take the hand and just, just show them it's more of a more of a push than a gentle nudging in the right direction. I think that's the the idea here, Greg, when they say this, the master makes things change without interfering. Doesn't mean the master's not giving instruction, but the master's not interfering. You know, he's not overtly pushing, not intimidating, not, you know, all those things. She is probably, she's probing yet causes no harm, straightforward yet does not impose her will. Brilliant, but not flashy, not judgmental. I wrote a list out of this, of of the descriptions of the master in this. Of course, acceptance, contentment, being an example, not imposing her will on others, sharp mind, but not sharp tongue, not judgmental, not divisive, in other words, straightforward, Brilliant, but not flashy. Makes things change without interfering. Hmm. Yeah, this idea that we we can't see the good and the bad out. You know, we've talked about the Dallas farmer before. How, you know, things kept changing and they'd say, oh, that's awful. Maybe it is, maybe it's not. Y'all have all heard that story. Have you heard that one, Dave? Okay, let me let me say it because maybe some people listen to podcasts haven't either. That's a good one. Yeah, it is a good one. You want to share it, Lala? You want me to do it? No, you do it. You're a better storyteller. <laughs> oh, yeah. Okay, the, the the way I heard it, you hear it all different ways, but the way I heard it was that the the Dallas farmer uh, had a horse that he used around the farm, and the horse ran off, and his neighbors came up and said. Oh, it's awful that your horse ran off. How are you going to work your farm now? And he said, well, maybe it's bad. Maybe it's not. I have no, you know, I have no idea. A few days later, the horse came back with five wild horses. And then all of his neighbors said, oh, it's so wonderful. Your horse came back with these wild horses. Now you're wealthy. And he said, maybe it is, maybe it isn't. His son was out bucking the horse, was out uh, training the horses and breaking them. And fell off and broke his leg, and one of the um, one of the neighbors, of course, said, "Oh, isn't it awful? Your son broke his leg. Now, how are you going to work your farm? You have no help." And he said, "Maybe it's good. Maybe it's not. I have no idea." Then, right after that, the soldiers came along, uh, taking all the young men to fight in a war that they'd never returned from. And the son could not go fight because his leg was broke. So the neighbors came up again. Isn't it wonderful your son's leg was broke that he didn't have to go fight in a war? And, of course, the father's answer was maybe it is, maybe it isn't, you know. Uh, very much applying Chapter 58 of the Tao Te Ching. So 
that's that story. I had a, um, I had a recent one for me. Um, I have some owner finance property and my wife gets mad at me because I, I don't really enforce as much as what she would like for me to. And I had one that people paid nine months out of the year. So I'd shoot them an email case. Hey, you need to be paying, you know, and they'd start paying, you know, that kind of thing. I'd, I'd push them a little bit. I'd never really push. And, um, they vacated the property. I found out this last week. I was actually praying for other people for their finances because I needed some help with my finances. So I was, I was praying for the neighbors and praying for different people that they're, that, you know, their money would be as they needed it to be. And then that day I said, you know, I need to check on this particular house because they hadn't made a payment uh, recently in the last couple of three months. And I said, well, I need to go check on them. I rode over and they'd vacated the house. So now I'm going to be able to take the house and sell it and make some money, which I need to make it. I need to think I need to make it at the moment. So, you know, it's bad that they lost their house, but yet it's good for me in that, you know, now I'm going to free up some money that I need. So we can't look at these things so black and white because we don't know, you know, I'd never foreclosed on them. Don't tell, you know, they're never going to find out I said this, but I, I just would not foreclose. Now I'd find out it, that would be the last thing in the world I would do, you know, now rather than the first. So, uh, but they vacated it. And I was well, I said, I guess I have no choice. I'll foreclose and then I'll take it and sell it, you know? So, but, you know, we just, we, we put these uh, very temporary tags on everything and learning not to do that, I think is a key to a lot of our contentment in this and knowing that things are the way they need to be. I think it's interesting too, how, um, you know, this has very much come to light with me lately with me going through this growth process and, how others, how, how, how you see others responding. Oh, like, like in the story, Oh, shouldn't you, that's so great. Or that's so bad. Or, you know, (laughs) you need to do this, or this is a great thing. And it's like, you know, I've learned to kind of ride the waves rather than, um, or try to anyway, ride the waves rather than labeling it and getting attached to that label. But it is interesting to see the people around me that aren't doing, you know, these sort of processes, like namely like family members or things like this. And now I'm trying to not get attached to their response, like, you know, getting frustrated with, you know, like I went and helped with hospice yesterday and my mom goes, Oh, that's going to be so depressing for you. And in reality, I was like, no, it's service. It's making me grateful for my life. It's getting me out of my problems for a couple hours. And I was getting so frustrated with her, you know, with her reaction to me doing this service work that I had to let her reaction go and just go, well, maybe for you, that would be depressing. That would, that would be for you. But yeah. So the people around me, I'm getting realizing I have to detach myself from their reactions. That's good. Lala. I had a, had a sponsee this last week that was really having difficulty not allowing his, when his wife would attack him, not allowing that to make him angry. Yeah. You know, how, how can I not make my wife, my wife's response is similar to like what you're talking about. Yeah. And, and I, I told him, I said, your wife is just reflecting her anger back to herself. I said, it's, it has nothing to do with you. Yeah. 
I said, you're just the mirror that you're seeing it. But she's angry at herself. She's not angry at you. Just like what you're talking about, Lala, in that your your mom, that's how it would make her feel, not how it's going to make you feel. Yeah, and I think especially with her being older in age, she repeats herself a lot. So maybe one time I could let it go, but when it keeps going, and I'm sure with fighting with a spouse especially, well, you realize once you don't, once you just hold up the mirror and you don't respond, they kind of stop doing it, you know, because you got to have somebody to fight with, you know, you have to have somebody to. Yes, totally. What, you know, and that, that's a great, uh, that's a big part of awakening too. I think Lala is realizing these people that we think are attacking us. They're really not. They're attacking themselves. That's what they're doing. So we take these things personal, and it really has nothing to do with us. Yeah. Nothing at all. And we think, I used to think everything had to do with me. If somebody said something to me, that I had to take everything personal. And I've learned and am learning just not to do that. That's a huge lesson. That's good. That'll, that'll, That'll create a lot of peace in your life. You know, I was trying to offer my daughter up that lesson she flew in from san francisco for a couple days this past weekend to make up with her to like try and form a relationship with her dad who is very controlling judgmental um angry about her life choices not that his life has turned out so great and she came and wanted so badly to have a relationship with him and and ends up not and you know i've been telling her all along not to take him personally because he's a dick and he's, you know, his maturity level is below, uh, you know, below a uh, teenager. But it, it has made her just so sad and grieving, you know, that she can't be in a relationship with a controlling person. So I've been trying to tell her it's his not to take his reactions personally. That's very hard. It's so hard when it's a parent. That's tough. Yeah. When it's a, parent, when it's a child, when it's a spouse, yeah. any, any of those close relationships, not taking every little thing. And all, all we can do is love in those situations. You know, the solutions are always love. Always, always, always. Just breaks my heart that they, she's heartbroken. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. All you can do is love her. You know, that's all you can do. Yeah. Uh, I'm amazed at the times that I have loved people. And I'm not saying this in that situation, Marla. I was just thinking in general, instead of trying to fix people, I've just tried to love them. And then they come up with the answer without my help. (laughs) And I thought, yeah, I've told you that like a hundred times. Why are you just now getting it? You know, <laughs> when I quit trying to instruct them and just love them instead, then they got it. You know, right, right. So, and I, I wasn't thinking of your situation because I'm I'm not saying you're doing that. I was just thinking in general. It went along. That reminded me of that when you were talking about your daughter, Stephen. Can I say something? Oh, <laughs> sure. Anyway, when you had told that little story, I was thinking of the Book of Job. And also the the alchemist, um, where we're we're thrown so many obstacles, and we just kind of have to not hit those walls and stay in the middle 
um, and not let, you know, all that, that evil and, and bad um, affect us. But yes. That's what I was kind of thinking. <laughs> yeah. You know, I don't know you, if anybody has read either of those books, but... Um, what? I've read The Alchemist. <laughs> the, Alchemist read the Alchemist. And, yeah, that's by Pablo... Mm. Pablo Coelho? Hello. Yes, yes, yes. And he's just thrown so many obstacles, and he has to learn how to get through it humbly. I think the interesting part of the Job story is two things. One, that originated from fear because he was making mm -hmm. all these sacrifices because he was afraid his kids were going to do something wrong, mm -hmm. from what I understand. And then at the end, he got relief when he prayed for his friends, when he quit being right. consumed with himself. Mm -hmm. Is that right, Sarah? Yeah, that's, yeah, and that's pretty much the same with the alchemist also. It was... Um, you know, he was basically very fear-based, and then he, he kind of, at the end, you know, came full circle and had to let go of fears. Hmm. That's good. That's good. Yeah, we, so much of our, you know, I know all of my character defects are fear-based. If I go mm -hmm. far enough, look deep enough, there's a fear behind there. And I've got to be concerned about someone else if I want to get that stuff out and live a happy life. Thank you, Sarah. Anything else, dear? Nope, that was it. Thanks. I'm going to go back on mute. <laughs> I found I found from that story that the neighbor's got far too much time on his hands. <laughs> it's just a parable. I can see these. I can see these two old boys hanging about this wooden gate, watching this boy break his leg, and thinking that's bad news. <laughs> Getting carted off to the hospital and thinking that's bad news. Go <laughs> get on with it. <laughs> Even Mitchell. It's a great story, though. Oh, it is. Prosperity rests in disaster. Disaster is hidden in prosperity. Who knows the line that separates them? The normal becomes the perverted. The good becomes the monstrous. People have long been confused about this. Derek Lynn has a good thing here talking about the logical analysis can yield the wrong conclusion, but the true Tao will never lead you astray. To be scathing means to become self-righteous, talking about the sages are righteous without scathing. Our translation said um, uh, sharp without cutting, I think, was part of that. That whole idea of uh, serve as an example without imposing their will. Uh, it means to become self-righteous and condemn those who fail to live up to your standards. So saying the sage does not become self-righteous, does not. Um, and how many times have we taken a standard? I just speak for me. I think, well, why isn't everyone doing this? Why is, you know, all the, that self-righteousness that can come about when we start doing some right things. He's saying that the, the sage, the wise one, does not do that, does not impose what they believe to be right on everyone else. Control. Yes. To be piercing, talking about the um, uh, sharp but not piercing, is to impose one's discipline of being incorruptible upon others. Sages do not do this 
They're tough on themselves, but tolerant toward everyone else. This makes perfect sense because we can always change ourselves, but never others. Therefore, discipline is most effective when we apply it to our own lives and completely ineffective when we try to force it on other people, even if we start out with the best of intentions. The wisest thing we can do is give up trying to control others and focus energy on improving ourselves instead. Just what we've been talking about. Let's turn that light around. Okay, this is a book I've been reading on by James Altry and Stephen Mitchell, the guy that did the second translation we read, on business lessons from the Tao Te Ching. And they use this chapter as one of their lessons. And they had a really good quote. I just want to read this couple little stanzas from this. Talking about the manager can only create a place in which they can be who they are. Talking about their employees. And if they have the capacity to find happiness in their work, they'll find it. Not trying to force them to be happy, but creating a place where they can be. But the wise leader is not naive or paralyzed by her ideals. Even when the workplace is the best it can be, and she knows there still may be people who don't flourish and people she will have to fire. Sometimes firing those people, as difficult as it is, helps create a better workplace for the people who remain. Her mind is sharp, but she uses it to cut away difficulties, not to cut into people. And she remains supple in her response to ever-changing circumstances. The wise leader realizes it is more effective, though more difficult, to live an exemplary life than to impose her ideals on others. Her radiant example doesn't make people think, wow, how brilliant she is, but what a wonderful person she is. I think I can be that way too. I think that was just a great example of what was being described. It's not how great she is, but how wonderful a person she is. Yeah. I can be that way too. It's, it's, it's encouraging people to grow and be better, leaving space for that in work, in relationships, with our children, all those things. It's not how I can make you what you should be. It's how can I give you space so you can be what you should be or whatever you can become. Which creates way more creativity. Yes. And and happiness, more contentment. Yeah. And happiness, too, Marla. If, if, I mean, it's up to them to find, leaving them room for that to happen, you know. <sighs> Think of uh, Wayne Dyer today, Marla. You have any, you like Wayne Dyer for this week? Anything yeah. there jump out at you? Yeah, it's, yeah. Did anything, yeah, some of it jumped out at me. Okay. Do you want me to read the verse? Yeah, that would be fine. If you would like, or you can go ahead and just read the, uh, we're running short on time. If you just want to go to the text, really like, because he, what he said in the verses about what we heard in the others, I, nothing in there really stood out to me. If that's no. okay. um, so this chapter in, in Wayne Dyer is called Living Untroubled by Good or Bad Fortune. Um, I'm going to move ahead. 
Like most humans, you probably want your surroundings to be permanent, steady, reliable, secure, and predictable. However, your reality unequivocally insists that you take into account the opposite and unpredictable that are present in every experience you have. So true. After all, even the landscape that surrounds you is is far from orderly. Mountain ranges go up and then down into valleys. Trees tower over shrubs, and cloud formations are ominously black at times and fluffy white at others. In every perfectly sunny day, there's a storm hiding, and in every rainstorm lies a drought waiting its turn. Up and down and the unexpected are the norm of nature. Hills and dales are the way of the 10,000 things. This next verse was I picked out. Change your view of the peaks and valleys of all of life to an attitude that allows you to discover what's hidden in both of those experiences. Begin to see wholeness rather than good or bad fortune. See opposites as parts of oneness rather than disrupting surprises. In a world of of pure Taoist unity, there's no good or bad luck. It's indivisible. What you're calling bad fortune has good just waiting to emerge because it's the other half. Lao Tzu's advice for applying the 58th verse to today's world would probably include the following. See wholeness in place of good or bad fortune. Uh, Hold on right there, Marla, please. That that whole stanza from that you just read... I had looked at because that really spoke to me about just looking at the whole instead of the parts. I, I can only see what's in front of me, in front of my face. Yeah. When if I can just back up, I really don't know what the good or bad fortune is. I, I just have to look at the whole instead. Mm-hmm. That really would, that, this is real good, real good. Yeah, I think of something as, as simple as the weather you know, I live in a, in a state where there are four definite seasons and how people around me are always miserable about snow. And my attitude is, you know, it's, we live here, it's going to snow, I love winter, it's going to be spring soon, it's going to change. So just, you know, who cares? It's Here's simple. the opposite, Marla, they don't like the hot. Now, we're getting some extra <laughs> here. Which is great. I love it. I'm looking at my 10 days, so I know how many more mornings I have out in short sleeves and, you know, and and shorts that I can do my meditation on the back deck without having to, you know, having to throw on a bunch of clothes, you know. And so I love it. I'm like, come on, Heat, stay another week for me, please, you know. We do, we do too. But you know what? It's, it's, if you live in Michigan, it's going to change yeah. no matter what. So love it. Love it or, you know, why bother hating it? Yes. Anyways, that's my feeling. Um, shall we go on? Yeah, if you would like, whatever you want to read, you do what you want to do. Um, I'm going to move on a little bit. Okay. When, when bad fortune feels so troublesome that you can't get unstuck, seek good fortune leaning on it. So in early recovery, all I could think about was what bad luck I had to become an addict. It it was such bad luck. Poor me, poor me. I got the worst of everything. Um, 
it took a couple of years in recovery, I mean, in attempting recovery to see what a good fortune it is that I was an addict so that I could recover you know, and see the good. So when you feel overpoweringly discouraged during a trip through the valley of despair, it can feel as if that's all there is. If you're unable to see a circumstance or situation as part of a larger picture, remind yourself that good fortune is leaning on this bad one, just as morning follows the darkest night. When wholeness, with wholeness as a backdrop, rely on your knowledge of day following night at these times. Keep in mind that when you've reached the valley floor, the only direction you can go is upward. Things definitely will get better. Your luck must change. Scarcity has to turn into abundance. This is because good fortune is invisibly there in all moments of despair, and you want to learn to live untroubled by them both. Yes, that's good stuff. Imagine if you're just deep, like, live in poverty, though. And there, you can't get out of it because there, there are people that it does happen to people. So, you know, I'm thinking mainly of homeless people. And how, how do they not fall into despair when they see no way out, when there is no way out? It's a, you know, I want to give them this book. <laughs> well, uh, we might see as poverty to them. That's all they know. You know, that's that's not looking at the whole. That's just saying that's that. Look, that's they're in poverty and they can't get out. They probably even have. I mean, I've worked in soup kitchens. They have good days and bad days, just like we do up here, comparatively. I mean, I feel the same way. If I don't have a roof over my head, I would be lost. But yeah, because I've always had one too. Right, right. With no, you and there's no way in the future that you're going to lose it, your roof over your head. No. <laughs> well, no, but, yeah, but no, yeah. Perhaps if, if, you go, if you go out again, you might, but, you know, I don't know. What I do in those situations, Marla, is I try not to put myself in their shoes because mm. that's not my lot in life. So I really don't know what they're feeling or – why they're there, I can suppose, and say, oh, they're there because of this and this and this, but I really don't know, so my response to that has become, what is my part, is it, do I have a part in helping them, what do, what is my part in loving them, what do I do, but instead of take, trying to, to be in their shoes, I, I try not to do that, because I'm not. I mean, think of this, like, what if somebody's on the street because they're escaping an abusive, violent, you know, misconduct family? And so to them, the streets is freedom. You know, they're not stuck under a roof with a monster. I know. I, you know. I tend to think about, you know, a whole community of people that, you know, never mind. It can go in so many ways, I know. Oh, it can. It can, you know, and my heart goes out. You know, my heart goes out to people that, you know, that I think should have things differently. I mean, I can sit on the bench at Walmart. <laughs> there you are at Walmart again. Yeah. <laughs> I don't like the Walmart. But, uh, but what amazes me about all of that is 
the people who I feel ha- I feel have less that may not have the life that I would insist on having, a lot of them are happy. <laughs> and I used to look at that and I said, hmm, how can they be happy and shuffle in and shuffle out and spend all the money they have? I had tenants like that. that they just got their check and they did their work and did their thing had no savings, had no retirement, had no, but they were happy. And I'm like, hmm, here I am, push, push, push all the time. And they're happier than I am. You know? <laughs> huh. Huh. You know, I told you what the book would be if I ever wrote a book. Well, ever wrote a, uh, I would, the, the title would be, I wish I were dumber, you know, <laughs> because I would, because I have to figure, used to think I had to figure everything out, you know. Now I know, no, I don't have to figure it out. But, yeah, we, we don't know what's going on in folks' heads. We That's true. Don't. Well, and like what you said, buddy, is like, you know, I know. And when I lived in New York, I volunteered a lot with New York Cares. And just do what you can to help. I, I worked in a lot of soup kitchens, made a lot of sandwiches, packed a lot of meals to go. And, you know, that's 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 all I could give to better their situation. You, you know, and back to this chapter, how that would apply to this is instead of trying to make them happy, trying to make them into something that you think right. would make them happy, how can I love them? How can I influence them without control? And that is by loving them. What can I do to help instead of, how can I make you change? You know? <laughs> what can I do to make you change? Now go pay taxes. <laughs> you want Lala? Here's a sandwich. Now go figure out how to pay your taxes. <laughs> yeah. Figure out how to get off the street. Here's a sandwich, you know. <laughs> the, you know, that whole idea, that's a whole different thinking, though, on our part. Well, that's like kind of like the AA, like, Keep coming back. Like, even if you go out, keep coming back and keep loving you. Not like, why didn't you do it this way? And when we push those rules, people just want to go around them. But when their heart's right, you know, then we can love them. You know, it's, yeah, that's good. You want to read anything else from this, Marla? Um, you, well, I can redo the Tao now. That's a really good one today, I think. I like this one it today. It is appropriate. Yes. So do the Tao now. Spend a day noticing what aspects of life fall into the categories of fortunate or unfortunate. List them under their titles at the end of the day, and then explore each of them when you won't be interrupted. Allow yourself to either feel each one physically in your body or to see it as an image that presents itself to you. Without trying to change it in any way, allow yourself to observe the subject with your eyes closed. Just as if it were a kaleidoscope or life itself, watch it and permit it to flow through you the way the clouds drift in the sky, night turns into day, rain evaporates, and how confusion comes and goes when you're living untroubled by good or bad fortune. So he's saying list all the things you think are good versus all the things you think are bad, the fortunate and unfortunate and meditate on those things and how they physically make you feel and then surrender that and see how, how you feel about it changes. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I'm going to, uh, I 
one of my MS students, I go to her house every week and work her out. And, uh, you know, she's, she's almost, she's 55, has no life other than sitting in her home because she can't move. And she kind of has a lot of misery about it. And it's, it's hard to get her to look at the gratitude side of it, you know? I've been trying to do that with her. But I, too, have a hard time seeing what she is grateful for, what she could be grateful for, you know? It's a fine line. She can be grateful for me. <laughs> that's, one of the, that's another one of those things I would have to surrender like I did my drugs and alcohol. Yeah. And say, God, how can I love this person? How can I bring love into her life? That's what I'm doing, I think. And then, oh, yeah, yeah. yeah and and those answers will come for you. You know, yeah. they'll come for you. I want her to be happy. And it's so hard when you can't move your body, you know. But, but this is the thing. And we can't, can't push and we can't make them happy. <laughs> You got it, Lala, before I could get to it. You beat me in the <laughs> I mean, going in and go, you should be grateful. Why aren't you grateful for all the good things you have? <laughs> as you're, like, skipping around the house. Yeah, yeah. as I'm walking, I have a family, you know, I have things she doesn't have. Anyways. That's why I said surrender that and just love her and see if the right answers don't just appear. You know, how to love her. And how to help her see gratitude, because that—that's what will bring contentment in her life. Yeah, yeah. Good, good stuff. Anything else, guys? Just look at the wholeness of life instead of the little piece you're in at the moment. You know, it's fortunate and unfortunate, good and bad. Identifying those things in your meditation can be a really good practice. I'm going to work on that some myself. I do a pretty good job of that now. But I'm going to look and see if I've got, I know I've got some things. I'm going to look at that real close, see if I can do some further work on that. That's good. I need that. So anything else? No. You folks, have a great week. Hello, this is Buddy C. I wanted to make you aware of several recovery-related resources that I've posted in the episode description. These resources include a list of recovery podcasts, a free sober meditation app, daily recovery email, shared Google recovery calendars, Hope you put some of these resources to use and have a great week. Thank you for listening to the Tao of Our Understanding Recovery Podcast. If you enjoyed this episode, please share it with your friends in recovery.